So we got quite a bit of ground to cover tonight as we uh, we take our next steps in our study. So I would suggest if you have a notepad, get it, and of course have your Bible because the things I want, I'm going to say tonight, I want you to study. I don't want you to take it from for my word. I don't want you to take it just for what I say. I want you to see these things in your own studies. Um, so maybe you could jot these down as we go along. I also want to say thank you for sticking with me through the really heavy parts of Revelation because uh, let's be honest, the past couple classes have been some heavy stuff. It's not easy, it's not enjoyable, it, it feels heavy and weighted as we, we talk about these things, um, but they're there for our learning and instruction, so we need to spend time with them. But now, for this one, we're going to move into something maybe a little bit more familiar, maybe a little bit more intriguing. Um, and probably something you've talked about or thought about uh, many times. I, I know with a lot of these things, you can have a lot of questions, and we've got still some places to go. We've got seal number six, which is next. We've got trumpet number seven. And I want to hit the pause button right here and right now for a reason before we get to either of those. I want to pause and answer maybe a few questions. You probably have many because some of this stuff is unclear, but one of those being... Where is the church in all of this? Where is the church in Revelation? Or maybe to put it another way, when is the rapture of the church? That's a pretty big question, especially when you come to talk about end time events, right? When is the rapture? Well, let's see if we can't find out and see what the Bible says. It's not what I say. It's not what anybody else says. In the end, it's what the Bible says, right? That's our rule of faith and practice, what does the Bible say? So you probably heard that term rapture before. So you can grab a, concur a concordance and search, but you're not going to find it in the Bible. The term rapture is not in the Bible. Does that mean it's unbiblical? Well, you won't find the word trinity either. That doesn't mean that's unbiblical, and neither is the rapture uh, not biblical. It is. It very much is. The term we use for rapture actually comes from a passage in 1 Thessalonians. We'll go there in a minute. It comes from the, the Latin translation. The, the, the phrase used in 1 Thessalonians, as we'll see, is caught up. Uh, harpazo in Greek means to snatch something. And in Latin, it's translated rapturo. So you can see where we get the the word rapture from, and it's used to describe the catching away or the gathering together of the church to Christ. When the church is taken up and that, at that moment glorification happens, which we'll explain in a second, and the church is finally with Christ for eternity. That's the term rapture is, is what it's used to describe. And let me just say right from the get-go, the rapture, the gathering together of the church to Christ is an undisputed fact of Scripture, period. It's not an if, it's a when. I say that because Christ made a promise to the church that He would come back for her. And there's many verses all over Scripture we could use, but the absolute clearest verses are in John chapter 14. So let's start there this evening. John chapter 14. The undisputed, undeniable, non-negotiable fact of Scripture is that Christ is coming back for His church. He's coming back to rule and to reign, yes. 
But part of that is he's coming back for his church. John chapter 14 and verse 1, he's in the upper room with his disciples and he says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I don't know about you, but I've underlined that phrase, I will come again. That's a promise by Christ, isn't it? And Christ keeps every one of His promises. Jesus said, I will come again, and I'm going to take you to myself, there where you will always be with me. That's, that's a promise we hold to, isn't it? That's a hope that we hold to. I know that whatever may happen, Jesus is coming again for me, coming to, to receive me to Himself. There's also some other promises that the Bible gives us. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture this, morning, uh, this evening. Again, because I want you to see it in the Bible, I don't want you to just take it for my word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ promised that He will come to get us. And there's also promises of what exactly will happen when that moment comes. 1 Corinthians 15 and 51 says this, Paul speaking here to the church at Corinth, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die. By the way, the death of a believer in Scripture is always referred to as sleep. What a... What a wonderful comfort that is. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall. (laughs) Again, I like the terminology. We shall. Not maybe. Not an if. We shall all be changed. In a moment, verse 52, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, There's actually two events that happen right there that we'll see here in just a a minute. But he says, The dead who are asleep, if you will, in Christ, will be raised incorruptible, and we who are alive shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And if you want to know why he just said that, look at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. There's a change that must take place. And at His coming, He says we're going to be changed. This corruptible, failing flesh, this thing that gets sick and grows old and breaks down, the thing that gets corrupted will be laid aside and we will put on or take on an incorruptible body. We will go from being mortal to immortal in our physical bodies. That's a, a thing that we call glorification. When this body is done away with and I receive a glorified body, one that has no more sickness, no more disease, none of that. It's a failing flesh that's now made perfect, just like Christ. In fact, look at cha- uh, verse 20 of chapter 15. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. So he's the example. You want to know what it's going to be like? Christ is the first fruits. You want to know what your crop of corn is going to be like? You want to know what your apple tree is going to produce? You look at the first fruit that it produces. That's the example for what's the rest 
for what the rest is to come. Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. So we see, as He had a glorified body, so will we. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. He is the example of that. And even death cannot dim that. Death doesn't change this fact. For us, we simply fall asleep to awake again as Christ comes back. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's a lot I would like to cover. This is a subject I'm very excited about, and I'm trying to, to channel it in an understanding manner and not just kind of bombard you with information. So I pray that this is helpful. But I, I want to show you that this is an undisputable fact in Scripture. Jesus promised He's coming again. Paul talks about the change will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And he talks about it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as well. And that's in verse 13, we'll pick it up. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Many things we could say about that, but when we know when a believer dies, uh, we are not without hope at that moment. We know in whose presence they are. We know where their eternal destiny lies. And that's what Paul is touching on. Even those people that you know that are dead, you, you, you don't sorrow as those who have no hope. No, because there's something coming. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The resurrection of the dead in Christ happens first. So if you can imagine, if we are alive at that time and we see Christ coming, there is a split second in which all the dead who are in Christ, who have believed and are part of His, uh, part of His church, they resurrect from the dead. We'll see them come out of the graves in glorified bodies. And in the next second, something else happens. Then, verse seventeen: We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. <clears throat> and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Just an amazing promise that there is. That there's someday I'm going to receive a glorified body. Someday, whether I am dead or alive, I will be caught up to meet Him in the air and to ever be with Him. That is the eternal hope of the church, isn't it? That's the hope that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1. He has begotten us again unto a living hope. And as we are faithful and as we are living for Him, He keeps us unto that salvation, because that's a form of salvation. That's a final salvation, actually, if we could put it that way. There is a salvation that happened the moment I believed in Christ. My spirit was born again in Him. I was cleansed of my sins, and my eternity was secured. And along the way, He saves me from the power. He delivers me from the power of sin over my life, and someday I'll be free from the presence of sin. That's the eternal hope that God keeps us to. That's the thing that keeps us going through the dark days. And there is a day coming when Christ will return to this earth. 
The dead in Christ will rise with glorified bodies. Those who are alive at that moment will be changed in an instant, and we will all meet Him in the air and be with Him forever. And He comes down to set up His kingdom on this earth and to rule it for a thousand years. We will rule with Him for that thousand years and then be with Him forever. That's why John says at the end of Revelation, Amen, even so come Lord Jesus. Because of that eternal hope. That's that's what keeps us going through all of this, right? That's the end game. That's the reality. It doesn't matter what happens in between. There can be pain and there can be suffering. There can be hardness. But there's coming a moment when all of that will fade away and for eternity we will be in perfect peace and joy with Him. That's the undisputable fact of Scripture. The question is, when does that happen? When does it happen? What's the timeline for that? Because I'd really like to know. And to make it very simple, as we get into this discussion, there's going to be two main schools of thought. There's others like Jesus already came back, and some people say we're already through the millennium, and some people say he's in a room somewhere or he's not coming back, or he did invisibly. I'm not even going to waste my time with that junk. That's foolish. We're going to spend time with the two main thoughts, and you've heard the terms before. Pre-tribulation and post-tribulation. Pre-tribulation and post-tribulation. Those simply mean that Jesus will come either before, pre, before the tribulation period, or post after the tribulation period. Those are the two main schools of thought, and that's what we're going to address. And let me just say this. This discussion, which I believe it should be a discussion, if there's different opinions, it can quickly turn into a debate. And that debate can get pretty hot. People feel passionately about this subject, and to that, actually, I say amen. Fine. Know what you believe and stand on it. Know what you believe Have it in your heart. Be rock solid on it. As long as you can stand on Scripture, then amen. Feel passionately about it. But I think there are some subjects the people of God can uh, disagree on and still walk in harmony. There's some subjects that are non-negotiable. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ. There's there's, There's no discussion about that. It's either that or nothing. The fact that Jesus is coming is a non negotiable But when... Well, I think we can disagree on some things and still walk in harmony. So let me just say that. And again, the absolute fact is His return, and it is the gathering of His church to Him. And in all of that, the Bible has the final authority, right? Not a doctrinal statement, not a creed, not an opinion, not a pastor. The Bible has the final authority. So we're going to turn to Scripture as we consider these two. How do they square with Scripture? And believe me, yes, it is relevant to our study. That's why I hit the pause button where I did, and and I think we'll see. We'll see. So let me just present each view. Let's start with the pre-tribulational rapture. To sum it up simply, this is what it means, that Jesus can return at any moment. Any moment now, Jesus could return. In fact, His return is imminent. That means at any moment, there's nothing uh, stopping it. That's the event that's going to start the end time. What's waiting for the start of the unfolding of the seals actually is the return of Jesus Christ. It occurs occurs before that period, and it's, 
it's kind of secret in nature. When the Lord gathers us together, it's going to be an instantaneous rapture that happens. And so when Christ comes and, and raptures us, we're not going to go through any part of the tribulation. We're actually going to be spared from it. And we'll spend that time with Him, that seven years, though it will seem like a moment, it'll pass, because in eternity there's not really a timeline, it's just a sense of being. But we'll spend that seven years with Him, and then we'll return with Him at His second coming to reign triumphant with Him. There's a couple of other details we'll throw in as we go along, but that's kind of the main idea. You see, we won't have to worry about the Antichrist. We won't have to worry about the mark of the beast or the trumpets or the seals or anything like that because we'll be gone by then. The Lord will have spared us from His wrath to be poured out and we'll be taken up with Him and enjoying that perfect peace and harmony. So let's look at some verses and see what the Bible says. I want to start in Daniel, actually. You should know where that book is by now. We've been spending about a month or so in it. Daniel chapter 9. This is not a part we're going to go through in our Sunday morning, but we have looked at it before. In Daniel chapter 9, remember, this is Old Testament prophecy. Uh, like the Old Testament revelation, that's what the book of Daniel is. And he's given some visions of the future. Daniel chapter 9, we're just going to jump in at verse 24. And he says this, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Well, Daniel is shown this period of time. We've already discussed about that. I don't want to get into it, but I want you to see that phrase there. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Well, Daniel is a Hebrew, isn't he? Daniel is given this revelation of 69 seven-year periods that lead up to the Messiah. Then a pause button is hit as we enter into the church age, and there is one seven-year period remaining. So all of these weeks relate to Israel. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. And in verse 27, And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week shall he cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. There is a covenant made with Israel during that last seven-year period. The pause in between this timeline is for the time of the Gentiles, the church. And we live right now in the church age. Well, that church age will end when the rapture happens. As the church is taken out, and now we begin this last week, if you will, this last seven-year period. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7 says, It is a time of Jacob's trouble. Well, you know what Jacob's name was changed to, right? Israel. So this seven-year period is not meant for the church at all. It's meant for Israel. It's upon thy people. It's Jacob's trouble. And the this time that has held it off is the church age for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God and that ends with the rapture of the church. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is meant for Israel. In fact, it's not meant for us at all. And here's what 
Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not appointed us to wrath. And the time of tribulation is when His wrath is poured out, isn't it? And God has not appointed us to that, but He's appointed us to deliverance, to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to be spared from His wrath that takes place on what is called the day of the Lord. Now you've got to, be, you've got to understand in Scripture there's a term that is used that is day of the Lord. And it speaks of the time when God or Christ enacts His final judgment on the earth. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. And it encompasses that final time as well as the second coming of Christ. So there's some terms we need to understand. There is the rapture that occurs first, and then the seven-year period begins to unfold. And there is the coming, second coming of Christ and the day of the Lord. Those are all distinct events. There is the rapture that happens first where the church is caught away. The tribulation begins. Christ is going to return at His second coming. The rapture is not the second coming. And at that time also is the day of the Lord when God judges and Christ judges the earth. And regarding His return, let's see what Jesus says about it, shall we? Matthew chapter 24. God has spared us from wrath. This is for Israel. Let's see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to be picking it up in verse 36. Matthew 24:36 says as Jesus is speaking, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be in the field, the, other shall, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. You see, we don't know when he's coming. It's going to be, it's imminent. It could be at any time, at any hour. And the example here is given that one is in the, there are two in the field and one is taken and one is left. Or two are grinding, one is taken as the rapture happens. And we ought to be watching all the time because we don't know when that could happen. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 21. Luke 21 and verse 34 says this, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always 
that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. No one knows the day. It's imminent. And it happens at any time before Revelation begins to unfold. And speaking of which, let's go there. Let's look at just a couple verses in Revelation that show us this as well. Revelation chapter 3, and there's a letter there to the church at Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Let's see what Jesus says there. Revelation 3 and verse 10. I know it's a lot of Scripture, but this is, this is what we do, right? We study Scripture to see what is here. Revelation 3 and 10 says this, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell on the earth. See, the promise of the Lord is to His church, I will keep you from that. I will keep you from that. Okay, now what about the rest of Revelation? Where is the church there? We'll look at chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, some of your translations might say, after these things. After this, after the... Well, after what? After the letters to the church are done, signifying the church age. After the church age has closed, then things to begin to unfold. After this I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, which, is, which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, come up hither. What did First Thessalonians say? With a shout and with a trumpet, we shall be gathered together to Him. John sees heaven opened, a voice as a trumpet saying, Hey, get up here. Boom, rapture happens. And I will show thee the things which must be after here, hereafter. And then John begins to see some things in verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. You see, that's representative of the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles, which means the church is in heaven now, clothed in white raiment. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, representative of the seven churches which are now in the presence of God. And then the scroll begins to unfold in Revelation chapter 5. From here on out, the church is not mentioned in Revelation until chapter 19 when she returns with him at his second coming. Now, here and there you're going to find the word saints. But that doesn't mean the church. That's talking about what we call tribulation saints. Those who come to faith during this time. You see, the church will be taken out and there will be the rest of humanity left behind. But God is not uh, going to leave them without uh, a chance. And there's the ministry of what we know as the two witnesses. We haven't got there yet in Revelation. But there's these two individuals called the two witnesses who preach the word. And there are people who are saved uh, by their witness and by the, the word that is here. And actually, Revelation is written for those tribulation saints so they know what to expect. Because the church doesn't need it, we're not here. In fact, we have the final 
admonition given in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice it's a verse of red in the midst of black. It's Christ speaking, and He says this. Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. That is the pre-tribulational belief. Those are the scriptures Unless there's some, there are some here and there that I may have missed, but those are the scriptures that clearly say, or that are used clearest to point to the pre-tribulational return that we are waiting for the imminent return of Christ before the tribulation starts. That's one view. Now, let's look at the other. What about this post-tribulational rapture? What does the Bible say about that? Well, let's kind of follow the same pattern. To sum it up simply, the return of Christ and the gathering of His church is not imminent. But it takes place toward the latter part of the last three and a half years of the tribulation. I say that phrase very carefully. It takes place in the latter part of the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. That means the church goes through this time. Yes, she will have to face some hardships, but ultimately she will be caught up in the air with Him and come down with Him as He establishes His kingdom. And again, there's some things we're going to add to as we go. But always with everything does it square with Scripture. I want to start by going back to the rapture passages, those non-negotiable fact passages. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's go there. When you study the Bible, what is king? Context. Read the verses before and read the verses after. Let's, Let's read... What we already read, see what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 says this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others, which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, unto the what? We remain unto the coming of the Lord, His physical coming, unless I'm taking that different, unless He he appears twice. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven. He's now describing what's going to happen, right? We all see that? He didn't switch gears. What's the coming of the Lord? What do you mean we're not going to precede? Well, let me tell you. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, He himself shall descend. He comes down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. 
For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who, excuse me, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also you do. Chapter breaks don't mean the break of a thought. In fact, there are no chapters and verses in Scripture. This is a letter. And if you were to read it, Paul would have continued his sentence on. As he's telling about the rapture and the second coming, he goes right into chapter 5. And what's one of the first things that he brings up? You know perfectly, verse 2, that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Well, you understand in the pre-tribulational rapture view, that is a very separate event. The day of the Lord has nothing to do with the rapture. The day of the Lord is judgment. The day of the Lord is in the tribulation. The day of the Lord is God pouring His wrath. And the church is raptured before that. The day of the Lord happens at Christ's second coming. But what did Paul just do? He just connected the two, didn't he? He just connected the two. When he saw talking about the Lord coming down and us meeting Him, being caught up together. That's where This is the passage we get the word rapture from. Verse 17, we'll be caught up together. He says, you know that day of the Lord is not going to come. In fact, verse 6, let us watch for that day of the Lord. He's not saying watch about other things. He's saying let us watch for the day of the Lord. Watch for the day of the Lord. You're not children of the night. This day doesn't overtake you as a thief. It comes on a thief on those who are sinning, those who are not prepared. And that's why he gives the, the contrast between night and day. And those who are of the night experience what? God's wrath. God has not appointed us to wrath. He's appointed us to salvation. You're of the day. Watch and be ready for this. There's some things I want you to notice here that are used. Go back into chapter 4 and notice verse 16. These are the things maybe you want to jot, I don't, jot down. I don't think we're not going to get to them tonight. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. Those are three different things that are mentioned there, right? A shout, an archangel's voice, and the trump of God. And then the rapture happens. What I want to do, at least for the rest of our time, is try to get a, an idea about what this day of the Lord is that Paul mentions in chapter 5 and verse 2 for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is that a separate event does that have nothing to do with the rapture so many people say yes it is not the same well let's try to understand unless you think I'm just pulling one phrase out of one verse I don't do that but unless you think I am 
Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Oh, here goes pastor pulling a phrase out. We're going to build a whole lesson on one phrase he found in one verse. No. In fact, if I do that, fire me because I'm not doing my job. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. We're going to have to kind of pick up context and swing into what Paul's saying here. But notice what he says. Get the feel of it. Get the feel of some of the things that he says here. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all aboundeth toward each other, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. It's a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which also ye suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense or repay tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in them in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling (coughs) and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together in Him. Hit the pause button. Did you see the pairing there? by the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together. Again, Paul is connecting the two. We beseech you by this, that ye, verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letters from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. You see that? The day of Christ. Well, is that different than the day of the Lord? Or is Christ the Lord? Yes, He is. I think the day of Christ that Paul is mentioning is the day of the Lord. In fact, he's going to call it something else here too. Verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you I told you these things? And now you know that what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you. He circled back to now what he was saying at the beginning. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief belief of the truth, 
whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a lot, I know, but do you get the sense what he's talking about? There's a day coming of judgment for those who are in opposition, but on that same day is a day of glory for his servants. He doesn't talk about two different things here. He's he's weaving them in together. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Pick it up in verse 10. But the day of the Lord, see that there again? The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. In the day of the Lord, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness? Looking for, look at verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. What are we looking for? The rapture? We're looking for the day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, watch for the day of the Lord. When's the day of the Lord happen? End. See, Paul says it, now Peter says this. Looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul has also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Peter read 1 Thessalonians. And 2 Thessalonians. Yeah, Paul wrote about the same thing. Also, As also in all his epistles, speaking of them, of these things, which are some things hard to be understood. It's hard to be understood. So you got to kind of piece together. Especially, maybe we'll get there. Especially because we don't know squat about the Old Testament. So we come up with things like the day of the Lord is different than the rapture. We'll see. They're hard to be understood. They that are unlearned and unstable rest, as also they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. He says, but you know these things before. Seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away from the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So Peter says it. Paul says it in another place. The day of the Lord, the day of God, the day of Christ. We are to be looking for this day, hastening to it, He verifies Paul's writing, so I see that it's pretty important. So what does the Bible say? Now, those things that you jotted down, Paul uses that um, sequence for a reason. He, He mentions those things for a reason. We are running way out of time. We're going to go to one passage and we'll probably finish it and pick back up. The book of Joel. Now, you're probably going to have to unstick some pages in your Bible. Because we're going to Joel, and then next week we're going to Zephaniah. I don't know if you've ever read out of Zephaniah. 
Joel's two chapters, two books to the right of Daniel. Make it easy for you. The book of Joel, or Joel, however you want to pronounce it. A minor prophet, though his message is not in any way minor. He writes about the coming day of the Lord. Let's see what we can get before time's over. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Joel, chapter 2 and verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. It is a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong hath not there been ever the like. Neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. So he's describing the day of the Lord. He's also describing these people of the day of the Lord. This one you're going to have to file, and we're going to come back to it later. But I want you to see the description. There's, there's a great people and strong. There's never been anybody like them. A fire goes before them, devours before them, and behind them a flame burneth. And the land is as a garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, and yea, nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses and horsemen. These people are on horses, and they're great, and they're mighty, and nothing stands in their way. And like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, and like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. This is an army of heaven on horses. And before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness, and they shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways. They don't break ranks. They march right in order, and they shall not break their ranks. I don't know if you want to. You could write Revelation 19 in the margin. We'll get to that later. Neither shall they thrust one another or push. They're not going to stumble into one another. And they shall walk everyone in his path. And when they fall on the sword, they shall not be wounded. They can't die. They're immortal. And they shall run to and fro in the city. And they shall run upon the wall. And they shall climb up on the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. Take note of what we're going to see in some of these things. The earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw the shining, and the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. For His camp is very great, for He is strong that executes His word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? The Lord utters His voice. Hmm. Chapter 3, verse 15. The sun and moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. The Lord shall roar. 
The Lord shall descend from the heavens with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Sound familiar? Well, that wouldn't ring in our ears because we don't know the Old Testament. But now you see something there? Zephaniah, let's go there and we'll finish up there. Keep turning right. <laughs> a couple more books. You find Habakkuk, Micah, Habakkuk. You're right there. If you go to Haggai, you've gone too far. Or just look it up in your concordance. Find the page number. <laughs> Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of the what? Trumpet. A day of the trumpet, an alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, and they, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as dung. Neither, shall, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of His jealousy. For He shall make a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. There's other places we're going to go in the Old Testament. We're run, we've run out of time, though. I want you to take note of some of the language that is used there. Because it echoes and it rings and it is stated expressly in New Testament passages. Are we to separate the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord? In a pre-tribulational view, the rapture happens and the day of the Lord is for the end. But Paul's already made reference to blending the two. At the coming of the Lord, at the day of the Lord, which we are to be watching, we will be caught up together with Him. I want to continue to build on that next week, and I want to see what not only Christ has to say about His coming, but is there things that we can look to in Revelation to see that as well. So, for those tuning in, those watching this, whether it be live now or later, I pray it's a blessing to you, and uh, look forward to continuing this study next week, and as well as seeing you on Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks. Any questions?